Hey, and welcome back. It's Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer. This is your latest episode of 1% Better. Everything Colts, everything uh, twice a week for you. And it's the first of a couple episodes this week, and we've got a lot to talk about. The Colts now, 0-1, went out to Los Angeles, uh, took one, uh, took a loss, I should say, from the Los Angeles Chargers. And this game, I thought, was sort of uh, a great uh it set us up for a great podcast because there was so much to take away, so much to talk about. And I, I just think that we learned a lot about this football team on Sunday, Zach. Uh, so we've got so much to hit. Obviously, Jacoby Brissett, we've got the defense, we've got Adam Vinatieri. But but take tell me, Zach, your primary takeaway uh, from this game. What do you what what did this do in terms of your perception of the Colts for 2019? What's your takeaway right now? Yeah, I mean, this was an absolutely wild game. I think at one point you turned to me and said they should be down by 14. And I said they could also be up by seven. And I think we were both right in a weird way. It was bizarre, the, the penalties they had early, the rally they had late. The number one takeaway, though, to answer your question is number seven. I thought Jacoby Brissett was terrific. I thought Chris Ballard was right. He said this guy's not going to flinch. He didn't. Um, that's a good defense with a good rush. And Kobe Brissett was as good as he possibly could have been, I thought, in this game. Two-minute drive, marching down the field, got the ball in the hands of his playmakers, got them into overtime, didn't even get to touch the ball in overtime. And T.Y. Hilton told me after the game, look, if we would have touched the ball in overtime, this game would have been over. Now, we can get to the defense in a minute, but for me – Beyond anything else, it was Jacoby Brissett. He was fantastic. Um, he's not going to be Andrew Luck, but this guy played winning football Sunday. I think he can play winning football in 2019. I think Frank Reich deserves a lot of credit. Um, Colts going to be a good football team in 2019. I'm, I'm pretty convinced of that, and it started with me with Jacoby Brissett on Sunday. Yeah, I like it. Uh, so the one thing I always tell people is don't overreact to week one, right? Because who knows who's good and who isn't good, but – I do think this game, for me, is a little different. I actually feel like this was a good test for both teams. The Chargers, by the way, you just hit on this. The Chargers are a very, very good football team. And this team was yeah, a heartbeat away. a good roster. Right? Yeah, they were a heartbeat away from the AFC Championship game last season. Granted, yeah, they were missing some of their key players, two of their best players, frankly, in Derwin James and Melvin Gordon. You know, hey, it is what it is. The Colts were missing Andrew Luck. He just retired, you may have heard. So, I mean, look, it is what it is. But uh, certainly, this was a great test. And, you know, you're making a West Coast trip. I get that the Chargers don't have a huge home field advantage, but that just sort of adds complications to uh, to the task at hand. And I thought they handled it pretty well, all things considered. If they clean it up, this is a totally different outcome. So, uh, yeah, I, I really do feel like you do. I, I feel like they're going to be a competitive team. I felt going in they were going to be a competitive team in 2019, and all this did was just embolden me even more in that attitude. So let's now sort of take, uh, you know, sort of a turn our attention, I should say, to Jacoby Brissett. I, I think he's really the story here. You know, for me, I'll tell you what my big takeaway specifically about Jacoby was there, there were many, but one thing that I want to hit on is, did you notice how accurate he was? 
<laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I didn't. Boy, all that work with Tom House starting to pay off. That's right. And you were hanging out at, with Tom House at practice the last few weeks <laughs> and uh, thinking we were going to be talking about Andrew Luck. But uh, he, he did give you some insight on Cho- Jacoby Brissett as well. But what was interesting is that in 2017, that was my, my issue with Jacoby. Was, he was a Correct. sub. He, even on those shorter throws, yeah. those intermediate throws. He was a sub 60% thrower that season and this is a guy who was not making really aggressive throws and he was under 60 percent in completion percentage so that to see him complete passes at such a high rate and and not you know sort of check down throws i mean he made some throws that is for me the biggest takeaway from jacoby's performance on sunday and what what did you what kind of sense did you get in terms of how he was working to improve that and and what the expectations are for jacoby yeah, that was the biggest focus when he worked with Tom House. Remember, I mean, Tom House hasn't just been in Indianapolis in August just for Andrew Luck. He has been working with Jacoby going back to the spring. And this is really intense scientific physics quarterbacking terminology, right? Way over my head, way over everyone's head except Tom House. But the bottom line is to mirror your feet with your arm. And, and I thought we saw that in the two-minute drill. Frank Wright did not dumb this offense down for Jacoby Brissett one bit on Sunday. He was throwing those out routes to Deion Kane, to Tia White Hilton, to Devin Funches on the sideline. Those are dangerous throws, right? Remember what happened to Scott Tolzien on those out routes in LA the last time the Colts were there. Completely different outcome this time. Jacoby, Jacoby has the arm. We knew that, but these were spot on. There was a fourth down throw to, to Devin Funches that was right on the money. Um, and it was just, it was just Jacoby Brissett coming into his own. And I talked to a lot of guys in the locker room afterward that they were like, look, I know there were a lot of people outside the building who were like, eh, is this guy really going to be that good? Is this guy really going to play like a starting quarterback? This team internally never believed anything else. They never flinched in this guy. And partly because they had to, they had no other option. But secondly, um, he's been running with the ones going back to April. They've seen it. And, and Anthony Costanza was like, look, I don't know what you guys expected, but that right there, what we saw from Jacoby today, was exactly what we expected. Um, and it didn't hurt that T.Y. That Hilton came up to him before the game and said, look, if you start to worry, I got you. Throw me the ball and we'll make things happen. And T.Y. was fantastic. I don't think we appreciate how good of a player he is sometimes. Um, but I thought Jacoby silenced any questions about whether this guy is going to be able to handle this. And remember, it was just 15 days ago that Andrew Luck walked away from this team, and all of a sudden, Jacoby Brissett's life changed. He has handled this ridiculously well the last two weeks. Yeah, and I think that the situation this time was different for Jacoby Brissett. I feel like last time he started in 2017, you know, because we're at, I don't want to pretend like he's never done this before. He has, right? So I, I want to be clear about that. Right. But I think the situations could not be more different. Number one, in that situation, 2017, he's coming off the bench – and the team is a mess. Basically, he had nowhere to go but up. <laughs> I mean, all he could do was just do his best. There were no expectations. I, I mean, basically, right. he had to... Be, and he was a placeholder. Yeah. He was. He had to be better than Scott Tolzien, <laughs> basically. And and on top of that, there was still 
some sentiment at the time, at least early in that season, that Andrew Luck would come back. They had not placed him on injured reserve. They were still Correct. there was still hope that he would come back. He did start practicing briefly, so that was a totally different situation. I don't think Jacoby was as invested. Uh, it was basically like, all right, I got to go out there and make the best of this, and whatever happens, happens. This is different. Here, I think there's significant pressure on Jacoby going into this game because, granted, he's not Andrew Luck, and and everyone realizes that there are different expectations for Jacoby. At the same time, they have a hell of a football team, and it's up to him to not screw it up. (laughs) So there's a lot of pressure here, and I think that was one of the other takeaways for me was that Jacoby Brissett has the perfect temperament for this. And and I think as we've gotten to know him, and even when he wasn't playing, I always liked going over and messing with him at his locker because the conversations were always kind of, you always kept you on your toes, right? And, and he's just really blunt and honest. And I, I like that. I like guys who are not afraid to say we suck <laughs> at the media or whatever. Right. I don't care. It's fine. But my point is his demeanor is perfect. Uh, he's, he's not too high, not too low. He really is that type of guy. And Frank Reich talked about that after the game, how he was consistent emotionally and through his temperament throughout the game. He said he had no heartbeat on that final drive. That was a really interesting quote, I thought. Yeah. And Jacoby is a guy that told friends, coaches in high school, look, I'm going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL one day. You never know how it's going to happen. You never know it's going to happen like it just did. And, 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 and a close friend retires two weeks before the season. But here it is. I think Jacoby accepts that. I think he, he relishes the challenge. And like you said, he's got a great team around him. And you saw that in spades on Sunday. I mean, the offensive line, the the switch that they flipped at halftime and the holes that all of a sudden appeared for Marlon Mack, that made Jacoby Brissett's day easier. But I don't want to take a thing away from Jacoby because when he had to make the throws, he made every single one of them. That's about as good as you're going to get from him in that situation against that defense. So he was – he was um, – he was everything the Colts thought he would be. And, and for those that doubted, this is what T.Y. Hilton said after the game, for those that doubted, you're not going to doubt us anymore. That's right. And, you know, I would say there's something here we can touch on because I, I've gotten some, I don't want to say critical reaction, but I've gotten some some mixed reactions and maybe it's just Twitter. I don't know, but that's what we have, social media. That's how we hear feedback these days. And, uh, you know, remember when we used to get like reader emails? We don't do that anymore, I guess. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, one thing that I've heard is there is some sentiment out there about whether they could be more aggressive. And I want to address that, not to defend the Colts. I don't need to do that. You saw the game. It was what it was. But but I do think that there's some context here that's important because you just mentioned Marlon Mack. Well, that part is obvious, right? Like, they ran for 200 yards. Okay, what are we talking about here? <laughs> okay, that's the first thing. Right. Uh, the, they ran for 174 for Marlon, and 150 of those came after halftime. Right. So, first of all, what? <laughs> that's the first thing. Secondly, I, I do think that, you know, you have to understand that you you do you, – you take what the defense is giving you, and if they're going to give you – the run, then you're going to take the run. Now, there are going to be days where it's flipped. There are going to be teams, especially if Marlon Mack continues to run the way he is, there are going to be teams that are going to game plan to stop him. And then Jacoby Prissett's job is going to be different. It's going to change. And Frank Reich's game plan is going to have to adjust accordingly because then he's going to have to step up and make the throws and go down the field. But I don't think this was a matter of them being incapable of doing it or 
or not having the confidence that Jacoby Brissett can do it. I just think it was a matter of, all right, look, they got a four-man front. Well, we're going to run the ball. And they they use that four-man front, the the Chargers, because they have a sensational pass rush, and they don't care about blitzing all day. They don't have to do it. So they didn't have seven, eight men at the line of scrimmage. That's not how they played. So you take what they give you. And at some point, look, they did start to adjust and 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 make some efforts to stop Marlon Mack, but you know the offensive line at that point was in a groove, and they still made the blocks and, and got a hat on a hat. But again, it, it's one game, and it doesn't mean that the game plan on Sunday is going to be the game plan next Sunday because no, you're playing a totally you different know how team. Much Frank Reich changes that thing up. He changes the game plan every week. I mean, completely. I mean, it's absolutely tailored to that week's defense, their scheme, their personnel, and they'll find new ways to attack. They got a good Tennessee defense coming in. Sunday that they'll face in, in Nashville. And, and believe me, I mean, if they can get 174 from Marlon Mack every week, they're going to take it. I don't, they don't care who's complaining about the, the play calling. I believe that. Yeah. And this takes me back to, to what Frank Reich said on, I think, really the day he was hired. I remember him talking about, you know, everybody remembers him being this, this quarterback, you know, for Buffalo in the, the K-gun offense, and it was all shotgun and throwing the ball down the field. And you know what he talked about on his in his opening press conference? He talked about being like the toughest team in the NFL. I know everybody says that, but but right. but they're embodying that right now. And I think you're starting to see his vision come into focus here. You know that uh, that ability to to put it all on the offensive line. I love what Frank Reich told us after the game, where he says you know, he uses Quentin Nelson to kind of take the temperature of the offensive line. So he said, <laughs> he said after halftime, he asked Quentin, he says, how's it going out there? And he says, man, just keep calling them. Just keep calling them. And he's talking about yep. his, the running plays. And what does, uh, what is Quentin Nelson's uh, famous hat that he wears, uh, Zach? Yeah. Run the damn ball. Run the damn ball. <laughs> it's <laughs> There's a great backstory to that, that I will get into in a story in a couple of weeks. It had me, it had me laughing when Quentin told me how that hat came to be. So stay tuned on that. Okay. See, yeah, I didn't know I mean, that. I'm, I'm now you, looking forward to it. You, you, you better believe, you better believe they want to run the ball. I mean, look at what they did on, on, on the second half. Yeah. I mean, it, play action is a part of that too. I mean, look, there was, there was a play where, you know, Jack Doyle, you know, came across on a tight end drag off a play action misdirection play. He got the 20 yards easiest throw Jacoby made the whole day. It's on my Twitter feed. If you guys go look for it, I posted it yesterday, the, the clip of it. I mean, it, that's the kind of stuff that, that the running game can get you. And if it's going to make life easier for you, then why not do it? I mean, what's the, what's the downside? So look, Frank Reich is, has never promised that they were going to throw for 300 yards every game. That was never his focus. That was never his intent. And we spoke last week on this very podcast about, you know, what it might look like without Andrew Luck. And I think there were games with Andrew Luck that that actually told us. And I I talked about the Washington game last year. I talked about the Dallas game and how in those games, Andrew Luck, I think certainly against – uh, Washington, and I, I believe perhaps against Dallas, he threw for less than 200 yards. Okay, less than yeah. Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, Jacoby throw for Sunday? Right, 190. Right. So, yep. so I think there's a blueprint there, and and the the common denominator was they ran the ball well in both those games. They played better defense, and that's something we'll get to in a second. But but offensively, I get it. I mean, they did more than enough to win, and there wasn't any. I, I didn't I didn't really take any issue with the game plan. So, like I said. It's week one. Don't overreact. 
let's let this thing play out. I, I think to assume that they won't be more aggressive with Jacoby Brissett is just uh, is probably premature. Um, what did you think about Zach? Just his uh, his ability to 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 be in sync with his guys. Did you really see the off season? work that he's put in paying off. I mean, because that's the thing. I mean, I I guess I get that the franchise quarterback just retired, but at the end of the day, they haven't caught balls from anybody but Jacoby Brissett, frankly, since last year. Right. So right. I think that really right. you and could we've see we've talked that. about this before. It's it's as smooth a transition as a lot of teams could dream of. I'm being honest. I mean, like how many teams could and I wrote about this sort of on a macro level, right? If you take a step back, Chargers are one of the best teams in the AFC very likely a Super Bowl contender if they get these guys back and continue to play well. They won 12 games last year in a division where the Chiefs were also playing and racking up Ws. So um, the Colts didn't miss a beat in terms of their competitiveness two weeks after their franchise quarterback retired. I can't think of very many other teams in the league that would be able to do that. And I thought it was emblematic sort of of what Chris Bowd and his staff are building. I mean, you look at you look at Sunday's game and you could see the remnants of these last couple draft classes starting to come into their own. And that's what helps Jacoby Brissett, right? Forget the the backup quarterback that became the starting quarterback that played really well. I mean, that's that's a coup in itself, right? That's a hard thing to do in this league. But you saw Ben Banigus, a rookie, come in on the first third down and make a huge sack. You saw Kamoko Ture just fill up the stat sheet. I mean, that guy was a baller on Sunday. And he had another one, a strip sack that he recovered that was called back because Justin Houston's was a shade off size. So, I mean, talk about a guy who's going to break out in year two. We've been seeing it in the preseason and I think it's going to continue for Kamoko Trey. That's another draft pick from two years ago. You've got, I mean, you've got so many pieces that are coming to their own. You got Malik Hooker and that ridiculous one-handed interception. First round draft pick from three years ago. Great rookie season. Cut down by the injury, wasn't himself last year. Um, that play, like I think you said at the time, that's exactly why they drafted him because he can do that, and not many guys in this league can do that. I mean, the Chargers were going to push this game pretty much out of reach before that interception. That changed everything very quickly. So you're seeing a roster with so much more depth than it had two years ago, sort of, sort of weather the storm in a way that I thought was was really impressive. And I think the one thing you can't underestimate is how Frank Reich has handled everything the last two weeks from the minute he walked into the press conference the Monday after Andrew Luck retired and basically said, look, we love the guy. We're moving on. We're not going to feel sorry for ourselves. Our opponents are not going to feel sorry for ourselves. We need to just keep this going. We're not going to make excuses. We believe in Jacoby. And you saw a lot of these young players start to come into their own on Sunday that's going to speak to a more balanced team moving forward. But it really, you know, the bottom line is what it told me is they're going to be fine. They've got too much talent. They're going to be fine. Um, this was a bad loss. I, it's, a, it's a field goal game, right? Anna Venteri is not going to miss three kicks very many Sundays. You're not going to have Danico Autry get an unnecessary roughness on a field goal very often or ever. You're not going to make the mistakes you made on Sunday in weeks four and six and ten. And, and without that, you're right there. And you could have been – you know, in, in the driver's seat to pull off one of the bigger upsets in the NFL on Sunday against a really good Chargers team. So Jacoby was fantastic, but you saw sort of what this team, it was a sort of a testament to how this team's been built the last couple of years. And that was really impressive to me. It, it really was. So before we flip over to defense completely, I want to uh, tackle a couple quick 
uh, additional points on offense. And and one of them is, you know, we hear a lot, uh, I think nationally we have at least the last couple of years, we've heard a lot about why the Colts should pursue running back X or draft a running back or do this or that. And I thought Marlon Mack on Sunday basically said, basically gave a middle finger to all of that, first of all. And then second that, of all. <laughs> that discussion's been silenced for a while, if you've been watching Marlon Mack, in my opinion. Right. And and I just think that it was – what kind of a statement was that for him personally, do you think? I, mean, I think that there's – there's always been this sort of reluctance to to see him as a franchise running back, whatever that is today in yeah. today's day and age. I don't know that right. we even have those anymore, but but for to the extent that we do, there's always been this reluctance to see him as one. And maybe it's because of the injuries. I think that's fair. Uh, where's he at now? And you know, if, if this is who he is, then you know that's another draft pick, right, from the last couple of years that is ready to take think about- off. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, he was a fourth-round pick, and and his rookie season wasn't overwhelmingly positive. He was playing with an injury. He was playing behind Frank Gore. But think about two of his last three games. Throw out the Kansas City game. I mean, he had 148 on the road in Houston in a playoff win. That's a franchise record for the postseason. And then he had a career-high 174 on Sunday against a good Chargers defense. I mean, this is a guy that you're going to start thinking about re-signing. You're given an extension. I mean, as good as he's looked, I mean, he's sort of in that class with Hooker and those guys. And um, at this point, you don't want Marlon Mack to go anywhere because he's one of those underrated guys. I mean, I was telling people all preseason, like, yeah, like if you're thinking fantasy, like you might want to think about Marlon Mack because you look at the offensive line and you think about think about the things Frank Reich told us all the way back at the owners meetings in April. Right. This guy was like, look, we're going to go top five in rushing this year. That's the goal. They watched every play from 2018, and they decided if they're going to take the next step and be more consistent, they need to be a top-five rushing team. That was a commitment that did not change when Andrew Luck retired. And the one guy that's going to benefit from that is is Marlon Mack. And he doesn't – you know, he's not a big talker. He's not this big, boisterous personality guy. Um, But he's a smooth runner. And there were big holes Sunday, and he found them. And his 63-yard touchdown run was a thing of beauty. I mean, that wasn't all the offensive line. That was him making people miss. And I think he averaged four yards after contact on Sunday. So that's another thing to him that he's gotten a lot better at. But this guy, I mean, he might not get a lot of headlines, but this guy was utterly fantastic. And he is going to be a bell cow for this team as much as they're going to have a bell cow on this offense moving forward. I mean, they're going to run Naheem Himes when they have to, but they're going to run the offense, at least the rushing offense through number 25 and at this point there's no reason not to he was fantastic he might go for 2,000 yards this season yeah I mean he's on pace right so I I would say (laughs) I would say that the the thing you just mentioned about him running through contact that is the biggest area of growth from Marlon Mack like by far I think in the past year plus and we saw it at a level on Sunday that we've never seen from him and I think that really is is the that's where the the good running backs are separated from the great ones. I mean, look, you're going to have to break some tackles. I mean, that's just how it is. I mean, the defenders are too fast. They're too big. The holes are not always going to be there. You are going to have to do some of the work yourself. And Marlon Mack is showing an ability to, to really escape that contact. Now, he's not going to run people over. He's not that kind of running back, nor do I think you want him to do that. Like, he's battled enough injuries. I think it's best that he run his way and use his style. But... In doing so, he, what he does is uh, he uses his athleticism and his 
quickness and his speed to run through those tackles, but he's still physical enough that he can power through some of that too. I mean, so he's not just sort of running around people. He can run through people a little bit. He's just not trying, he's not looking to run you over. I just think he's, he's trying to be elusive when possible, but he can be very physical when he needs to be. And I think that's a really nice blend that they have going on there with, with Marlon Mack. So uh, I think he embodies he has enough physicality that he sort of embodies what that offensive line is giving you, which is that really physical play up front. And and I think you talked about Frank Reich challenging this offense to be a top five rushing attack. I, I think he, I think he called out his offensive line last year. I really do. I mean, not in a negative way, but he he put it on them and he said, "You guys got to do better." Look, it's great that we're you know the the number one sack team in the NFL, fewest sacks allowed last season. Great. Now guess what? You need to be better in the running game. <laughs> so there weren't a whole lot of bows being taken. And I think that's the right approach. You know, I think you got guys up front there who are who are willing to work, who are conscientious, and they want to be the best. I mean, Quentin Nelson, he's not looking for you to to heap praise on him. Anthony Costanzo, this guy didn't even do social media. He doesn't care what you think about him. He just wants to just wants to win. He wants to work. And they have a real I think common mindset among those guys up front, you know, Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith, Mark Lewinsky, those guys, I think they all have that in common where, you know, they're, they accept challenges and they want to be leaned upon. And so it, it's a really good setup they've got going on there. And I think, I think it's, it's, it's got the ability or they have the ability to continue this. Um, now shifting real quickly to one other offensive point, wide receiver, there is a big, Story there, obviously developing with Devin Funches going on injured reserve. Look, I realized that, you know, he wasn't necessarily their go-to guy on Sunday, but he had an important role, played about 60, 50 or 60% of the snaps. So what are your takeaways on that? Uh, he'll miss at least eight games. So there's going to be some adjustment here. And and they brought Devin Funches in for a reason because he filled a need that they yeah. had. So so wh- yeah. what's the fallout there? you saw there? that need. Yeah. You saw that need on Sunday, right? Fourth down, where do you go? You go to the big target. He only had three catches for 32 yards, but one of them was that fourth down they needed on the drive that tied the game and sent it to overtime. It's time for Deion Kane to step up. I think he can. I think we've seen everything from him in the preseason and even on Sunday in Los Angeles that tells you this guy can play right now in this league. And I think it's time for Paris Campbell to step up. You saw flickers of him. He only had one catch. On Sunday, but they're going to continue to scheme him open. They're going to continue to get him the football in hopefully space and let him do what he does best because he's ready to go. He will make guys miss and he will create yards after the catch that this offense hasn't had in a while. And there's probably going to be a little bit more on Naheem Hines, the running back slash scat back that they use, you know, in those creative gadget type plays. But yeah, Funches is a big blow because he's he's exactly what they didn't have last year. That dependable outside receiver with the big body who's a huge target and that's a huge benefit to have for a young new quarterback like Jacoby Brissett but look the the nice thing is you've got depth here you have depth that you did not have last year remember last year Chris Ballard was kicking himself in September and October looking on the street for free agents he could sign that would play wide receiver I mean he signed Marcus Johnson the guy catches a touchdown three days later in New York um they don't have to do that this year. They've got guys like Deion Kane who they believe in. They've got guys like Paris Campbell who are going to be studs in this league. 
Um, and they've got Zach Pascal, and don't underestimate Zach Pascal either. They've got the depth at that position they haven't had in years past. Now they're going to see how much depth they really had because this is the second critical receiver that they've had lost to injury. Um, following Reese Fountain, who was out for the year, Devin Funches is not out for the year, but he's out for the next two months, and that's going to be that's going to be a big hole to fill. I think it's Deion Kane's time. I think he's the guy you slide outside and see what he can do. Yeah, you hit it on the head there. I totally agree. I think it's Deion Kane and then everybody else in terms of how this, who this impacts. And the reason I say that is because physically and style, stylistically, he is the guy who most closely, I think, resembles what Devin Funches gives them. And so a guy who can, right. who can sort of make himself a big target, a guy who can run those tough routes on the outside and, and do it against sticky man coverage. You know, we saw, we saw Dion do that. In fact, right before that play to Funches, Dion right. Kane ran the exact same route, basically a come comeback route uh, to the quarterback. And, uh, Jacoby Brissett, to his credit, put it right on the money. But those are tough plays because the defensive back is right on your back, okay, all over you. And you but you basically have to make that play with a guy draped on top of you. And Deion Kane has shown he can do that. He's really good in those one-on-one situations against tight coverage. Uh, he's got a good catch radius. And I, I think he's a, he's a physical player, clearly. So I think he can fill that void. Devin Funches is really more cut out to do it just because of, I mean, look at him. He's six, four, right. But, but certainly Deion Kane is six, one, six, two, and, and a physical guy. I think he can fill that void. And I think they trust him to do it. I think he's going to get some opportunities. He played the fewest snaps of the six receivers in the game on Sunday, which by the way, I can't believe they had six receivers active. That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. in any event, even Frank said, that's a very rare thing. It really is. Yeah. But but anyhow, it, as it turns out, they used them all, and Deion Kane's snap counts, I imagine, will go up. Uh, so you you hit on something important there. They could not have sustained an injury like this last year at receiver because, I mean, mm-hmm. first of all, they didn't have anybody to begin with. So uh, maybe it wouldn't have mattered if they lost their number two receiver because who was that? Who even was their number two receiver? I don't even know who it was <laughs> until Dontre Lemon took the job late in the season. Right. So it, it's very interesting now. Only less than a year later, here they are losing very clearly their number two receiver. And it's not sort of a shoulder shrug, but at the same time, it's kind of like, all right, we got this. And they do. I, I mean, yeah. it's a, that speaks to to the depth that they have built there in just one offseason, which is really amazing, spectacular, really. Uh, defensively, lots to talk about. I would say there's some positive, and we'll get to that in a second, but for me, I just I didn't see the impact from the interior defensive line. I really thought we were going to see yeah. Danico Autry yeah. all up in Philip Rivers' face. I don't think I ever called the guy's name except when he got a stupid penalty that cost him uh, cost him points there in the first quarter. Uh, what'd you expect yep. from that unit? And can they can they get by if those guys don't have an impact? Needs to be better. And I talked to a couple of them after the game and, and even going back to the second level and Darius Leonard, and they were fuming. There was not the interior pressure we had seen in camp. And there was not the, um, I mean, simple, it was simple, just like missed tackles. I mean, Darius was pissed in the locker room because he knows he left about a million tackles out there. And, and that's not what we really had seen from this unit last year, especially in that stretch run. They really contained a lot of great rushers and a lot of great teams. They didn't let those teams get what they wanted on the offensive side of the ball. And and, and and that's not what happened Sunday. 
This was on the defense and the kicking game, um, in my opinion. And it starts with that interior pressure. Marcus Hunt, Danico Autry need to be better. The pass rush on the edges was pretty fantastic. Let's be honest. Justin Houston had one. Teray was a beast. Um, Banigou had one early. Um, but they need to be better. And, 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 and look, I know some people are complaining about the overtime rule. Um, if you can't stop the other team from getting a touchdown, you don't deserve to win the game. They didn't. And they knew that on Sunday after that. They were they were really, really not happy. After the offense had clawed back in that game and gotten that thing to overtime, for that defense to just fall over and, and let the Chargers march down the field and score with an easy run, um, they, were, they were really, really ticked off about that. And I bet the film review session that they're having today, Tuesday, with Matt Eberfluss is not going well. I can guarantee you Matt Eberfluss was not happy after that game. Yeah, you talked about the overtime rule. You know who was not complaining about the overtime rule? The Colts, because it was on them and they knew it. So the defense specifically. So my takeaways on defense in particular, especially up front, I thought the missed tackles, as you mentioned, that for me, unforgivable. I, I don't understand that because that's the one thing the Colts did so well last year. And Darius Leonard... That is the worst tackling game I have ever seen from Darius Leonard. And it's very uncharacteristic. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's just not what he does. I mean, this guy led the NFL in tackles last season. And here he is. I, I just just un you know, making no sense to me, but missing tackles out there just inexplicably. Now, now I'm not saying he missed, you know, eight or nine, but but Darius Leonard doesn't miss tackles. And by the way, I looked up a stat this morning. Uh I don't have it in front of me, but of the of all the games heading into Monday night, in terms of missed tackles, the Colts were number one in the NFL on this opening weekend, mm. and I mean that probably yeah. won't surprise yeah. anyone. So that uh, yeah. that can't happen. And it really here's it's more than just okay, yeah, missed tackles are bad. Like we get that, but but it's bigger than that. It's the fact that missed tackles are what this defensive scheme is designed to prevent, <laughs> okay? The whole idea, right. the whole exactly. concept is get three, four, or five guys to the ball. If you do that, you're going to be fine. And yet, here we are talking about missed tackles. That should never happen. I think one thing, I'm writing a column today that has 10 of my takeaways from the game, and one thing that I mentioned in there is this goes back to a story I wrote last week about the Colts sort of emphasizing takeaways this year on defense, you know, strip the ball, intercept the ball, what have you. And I saw a couple of attempts, I think, where guys maybe prioritized the strip over the tackle. And there's a fine line mm-hmm. there. And I, there's a, it's a very tough, yeah, differentiation. Yeah. And I get what they're trying to do, but you got to get the guy on the ground first thing. And, and I thought uh, on the long touchdown run, for example, I think that may have played a role for example. So I just think that they're going to have to clean this stuff up. The good news is it's not it's, it's not a talent issue per se. Uh, it's really just it's just not clean football, frankly. And I think they can be better. Uh, so And we don't – we usually usually in week one, there's a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Just about every year, there's there's mistakes this team doesn't usually make. So um, I'm like a you. I, I don't. I don't think it's a talent issue, and I think it's something that gets cleaned up fairly fairly quickly, and it needs to be because I told a couple of Colts on Sunday what the Titans had done to the Browns, <laughs> and their eyes shot out of their head. They said, "What? What was the score?" I mean, this is three or four guys saying, "Whoa!" You know, um, 
it doesn't get any easier for them next week in Nashville. No, it doesn't. And, you know, one thing this may harken back to, I, I talked about the strip attempts, but the one thing that the Colts didn't do is they had a very light training camp in terms of their physicality. They didn't hit a lot. And it's not, it's not a criticism. I mean, I understand what they were doing. They prioritized health over, you know, maybe some level of preparation. And I understand that. They talk about fine lines, right? That's one too. Uh, so I get what Frank Reich was trying to do. But look, sometimes this is just an area where maybe you can point to that potentially having an impact once you get to the regular season where there is no more touch football. Okay, you got to get guys right. on the ground. They didn't tackle a lot. They weren't very physical in training camp by design. And, you know, you have to wonder sometimes, did that come back to bite them a little bit? So, you know, those are all questions that, that they'll have to ponder going forward. But uh, I do think they'll get the defense cleaned up. If they do that, they're in good shape. Uh, the, there's some good news on defense, though. You talked about Ture and Houston and – uh, Ture specifically, I'm also going to hit on him in my column today. Did, I broke down some film of Ture. Just a sensational game. Uh, you know who he looked like a little bit on Sunday? Uh, a guy who he spent a lot mm. of time with. Do you know who I'm talking about? Right. Robert Mathis. <laughs> so, uh, it you was, could see I it. I mean, it was, yeah, you could see it. And it wasn't one play and it wasn't two. I mean, Ture, we saw this in the preseason and we saw it Sunday. This guy's coming off the edge. He's coming fast. And he's not just going for the sack. He's going for the strip sack. And I think he's a guy, you know, Matt Eberflus has kind of mentioned a couple of times, you know, like, look, these these pass rushers, year one can be hard for them, but year two is when they really start to put it together. And I think we might be about to see that from Kamoko Ture. Yeah, look, there, there's sometimes, you know, talking about year one with pass rushers, sometimes those guys are ready-made, right? Like Bradley Chubb comes in last year, has a great year. Okay, but right. I mean, look, Very rare he's talent. a top five pick. I get it, right? I mean, of course. But when you get past the top 10 or 20, you know, then it, it's it's harder to find those guys, and, and they're going to have warts. They're not going to be ready-made prospects. Well, that was the case with Kamoko Ture. He was a project, and we knew that coming in. And last year, I think it was frustrating to watch him because it was like, man, this guy's really talented, but all I see are flashes. And you really never saw any kind of consistency and he would disappear for games at a time. And so really he needed to develop his game. And that's where he's been working the past six to nine months. That's what he's worked on. And I think you're starting to see it. You know, one of the things that you'll see in my column later is the the use of his hands at the point of attack. Watch in the film how he he, he creates space between him and the offensive lineman. A lot of times coming off the ball last year, he's so fast, he would get off the ball so fast. But once the guy recovered, once the tackle recovered, then he would just sort of stonewall him physically. And and, and once he let the tackle get his hands on him, then it was over because he's only like 240 pounds. There's no way he's mm-hmm. going to overpower the guy. So what he's learned to do, and I think Robert Mathis has had a key role in this because Robert Mathis was so good at using his hands. He was also undersized. What... Komoko has learned to do is to prevent that offensive lineman from engaging him with his hands and therefore you stay clean and you're able to continue to use your speed and he doesn't ever get leverage on you. That was huge and that is what I saw from him uh, on Sunday. You know, the play after, the very next play, after he he strip sacks uh, Philip Rivers but it gets called back. On the very next play, Komoko re- Ture almost gets him again, but Rivers just gets the ball off. Now, the ball is completed. He was right yeah. there. 
No yep. one will remember the play because it was completed. They got a first down and, and you know, the game kept rolling. But I'm telling you. And it should be noted that Rivers is exceptional at that. He hangs in the pocket as well as any quarterback in the league. And they're not going to be facing Philip Rivers every week. Right. So I think they really have something there in Ture. And I think that is really – that's how players, I think, really grow is you got to be willing to see where your game is deficient. Right. And, and if you don't, then you're not going to become a better player. I mean, you either, you're either going to get better or everybody else is going to get better and you're going to get left behind. So credit to Kamoko Ture and his coaches, I think for, for pushing him and for him having the willingness to see, all right, I got to get better in this area. He had no counter moves last year, zero. And the results were obvious. Now he does. So, um, there were also, did you notice, Zach, they also were very, um, persistent in this game, the Colts were in playing their young guys on defense. I think between Rakyasin, yeah, yeah, between Rakyasin, Bobby Okiriki at linebacker, and Kari Willis at safety, Kari Willis at safety. played a lot of snaps. Those guys played a lot of snaps. I was surprised, certainly about the latter two, Rakyasin. I expected, but I didn't expect Bobby Okiriki and Kari Willis to play as much. Um, you know, what did you what you take away from that? Because I think. You know, Kari Willis had some plays where you're kind of like, eh, you know, and I think certainly yeah. on the punt, he missed the block that got the punt blocked. I mean, do you are you think they're just willing to live with the ups and downs of these young guys? I think that's part of it. I think they like these guys. I think they need to develop them, and there's nothing that develops them quite like Sundays and real games. And I also think it might play into this is, is week one. I mean, these guys have not gone that long in terms of, I mean, the starters barely played in the preseason, and you've got all of a sudden this long game in the heat in California, yeah. and I think that might have played a role into it. I don't think it was that, though, and, and entirely. I think it was Kari Willis. They feel like earned that. They threw him in there next to Clayton Gathers and next to Malik Hooker a little bit. And Rocky Sin, absolutely. If you didn't start him on Sunday, you were crazy based on the preseason and training camp he had. Um, and Okariki's going to get in there, too, because they like his speed. And they like his skill set. Um, but those guys are going to have to learn under the fire because they, I mean, they're going against the Titans team this week. They just hung up 43 points on the Browns team that everyone had anointed AFC champions. Yeah. And, you know, I thought that Rocky Asin's play down there against Keenan Allen on the goal line, <laughs> tough play. Look, he was right there. Uh, the, he was the, there. the play kind of broke down a little bit, so it turns into a little bit of a scramble. So I think in those situations, the defensive back is at a disadvantage because you know it's not it's not a conventional route at that point. It's just a scramble play. So once the play broke down and Keenan Allen was just kind of sort sort of floating, uh, then it becomes really tough. Especially when you when you don't have position on him, Keenan Allen had had the position in front of him. So, uh, and you got a you know a potential Hall of Fame quarterback there in Philip Rivers, who they, they've run that scramble drill a hundred times in practice, so they could probably do it in their sleep. So, it, it, interesting thing about that play, though. Look, he's right there. He doesn't make the play. They score the touchdown. You know, it's a dagger. But I talked to Anthony Walker after the game, and he said, "You know what?" He said after that. He said, no one looked at Rock like, come on, man. He said, they were fine with it. He said, look, he was right there. He says, if you give him 10 chances to make that play, he says, I bet you he makes that play the next time. And I, yeah. I, I think mean, I agree. Look, that, that's going to happen. Yeah. Keenan Allen, I mean, that's going to happen maybe with DeAndre Hopkins down the line when they play Houston. I mean, like like Reggie Wayne used to say, there's a reason they pay the other guys too. <laughs> I mean, these guys are really good. And 
you like you like the position, and I think it's a really good teaching point for Jonathan Gannon, the DBs coach for the Colts. Um, I don't think this makes them waver on Rocky Sin for one second. Nor should they. Yeah, uh, I I do I do like their their willingness to to go with young guys and develop them. I mean, that's one thing about the Colts, and I've even told this to player agents who represent like college free agents. A lot of times, uh, I've heard from from I, I'll hear from agents a lot of times like, hey, so you know. Would the Colts be a good fit for my for my client? And I always tell them, I said, look, if he earns it, he's going to play. <laughs> and yeah. that is yeah. a fundamental bedrock belief of this organization right now under their current leadership. If a guy deserves it, he's going to be on the field, he's going to be on the roster, and he's going to get what he deserves. So I think you're seeing that. I think you were right about that, that they they think these guys have talent. And they earned it in camp. We saw Bobby Okiriki, I think, coming on. That that was not a shocker. I didn't expect it this soon, but that was not a shocker. We know that he was threatening to take some of those snaps away from Anthony Walker. There are going to be situations where they like Okiriki over Anthony Walker just because of the fit, uh, depending on, on what the situation is. They're different players. So uh, Okiriki probably better in coverage, they think. So he's going to play. And it's going to be interesting, but but they'll learn. They'll get better. They'll learn. They're talented. I don't worry about them. Uh, now, we've got to talk about the old man, the only guy on the team older than me, Adam Vinatieri. Yeah, <laughs> it was probably the worst day of his career, let's be honest. Yeah. What if you're the Colts? We know what their, what, what their uh, reaction is going to be. Their reaction is going to be, let's go. We're on to next week. But... In their heart of hearts, do you think they're worried? Should they be worried? They should be worried. Yeah. Because this is the second game in a row he's done this. He missed a field goal and an extra point in Kansas City. And there was an injury lingering there, and you kind of you kind of give it a, a pass. He's earned that. He lost in the game on Sunday in L.A. He said as much after the game. This is the first time in his 24-year career. He's missed two kicks and an extra point. All were within 50 yards. This was not the snow game in Buffalo. These were not ridiculous weather kicks. These were kicks he should have made. He knows that. He says he didn't hit any of them particularly poorly. Um, I wonder if it's in his head. And I asked him that after the game, and he said, no, you block it out. This is, you know, this is stuff he's done for 25 years. He knows how to remove himself from a previous miss and, and then push that away and, and focus on the next one. But you better believe this team's going to be watching very closely in Tennessee how this guy does because you cannot keep losing games because of kicking. This is not an issue the Colts have had for almost 20 years. Mike Vanderjack was terrific, except for one kick. Everyone knows what I'm <laughs> talking about. And then Adam Vinatieri has been absolutely fantastic ever since he came here in 2006, but like flat out lost them the game on Sunday, a game the Colts deserved to win. And I'm not sold that this isn't a, a, a troubling thing going forward. I'm not sold that this is just going to be fixed. Um, I I wasn't expecting this. This is not something we saw in camp. This is not something we saw in practice. This guy was drilling 50 yarders through the uprights. He was doing that in pregame. I don't think there was anything wrong with the field or anything like that. I just think it just might have got between his head a little bit. And you'd expect this guy – with the mental strength that he has, as many big kicks as he's made to move on from this. And that wouldn't surprise me either. But this is concerning. I'm being completely honest. This is absolutely concerning for Adam Vinatieri. This guy, I mean, this is a guy you you, you never had to worry about. All of a sudden, you got to worry about. At least that's where I'm at with this. 
I mean, look, at the end of the day, he's 46 years old. And I think, you know, if he wasn't 46, we'd be having a very different conversation. We'd be saying, okay. If his name was Walker or (laughs) Smith, he would be on the street right now looking for a job. I mean, he's earned that for sure. But let's be clear. I mean, this guy, if a kicker loses a game for a team, ask the Chicago Bears. He's not kicking for that team next week yeah there's there's so little patience in the nfl for for kicking woes nowadays i mean just jobs are riding on it no one's going to have any tolerance and when you're a kicker in the nfl you have the understanding going in man if i screw this up i'm out like it's (laughs) there's very few kickers that have any sort of real job security adam vinatieri clearly has been one of them i mean to play as long as he has but he's earned that and and i don't think there's anything wrong with it but uh I, i do think that one thing I always tell you this, and I know you've heard me say it a hundred times, but I'll tell the listeners. I always, I never cease to be amazed how quickly great players go from great to done. It happens. I see it yeah. all the time. It's 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 it, brutal. It really it's is. Brutal. I mean, we saw it with Peyton Manning, no less than Peyton Manning Reggie and Reggie Wayne. It's like, right. man, I remember when this guy was the best, and now it's like, man, it's hard to watch. I I saw that from Peyton Manning, even in his last game, his Super Bowl. I'm, I'm sitting there in the press box like, I can't believe this is Peyton Manning. This is hard to watch, but <laughs> I mean, they want it, granted. Peyton Manning, game manager. It's really? I mean, it was like, it was like you're just there holding on for dear life because the quarterback couldn't beat the other team. I mean, that's just, that's hard. But anyhow, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not assuming that's where we're at with Adam Vinatieri. I'm saying it's not out of the question. And as hard as it is for me to say that, I think we have to be, we have to consider everything as a possibility here from one he'll pull himself out of this to maybe he's done Uh, like every everything on everything's on the table yes everything is on the table yes i would agree and i think adam has let that slot that thought slip into his mind and and look i frank reich's 100 behind him they're not going to blink they're not going to panic they're going to be behind him moving into nashville there's no injury to speak of we asked um but this needs to be fixed because the minute this guy misses one in the next couple of weeks, the concerns will only exacerbate. It will only grow. And, and you can't keep losing games with field goals as small of a margin of error as you have now moving from one star quarterback to a new young quarterback. I mean, they had this game, an extra point, and they win 25-24. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's. It's 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 crazy to be thinking about Adam Vinatieri losing them the game, but you know I'll give Adam credit. Look, we walked in the locker room Sunday. He could have been on the bus. He could have bolted. It was it was quite a while after the game because of the press conference and all that. And he stood there and he answered the questions and he took complete responsibility. He's a pro. He knows how this works. But nothing matters until Sunday and until he gets those kicks through the uprights with the game going. Forget forget warm ups. Forget practice. Um, He's gonna have to. He's gonna have to prove to this team that he can still do this. Otherwise, this team's gonna have to start looking for a kicker in the middle of the season. Amazing. Uh, I would say this. Look, and I think we both agree on this. Uh, he deserves the benefit of the doubt for right now because he's earned that. But this can never happen again. <laughs> it just simply can right. never happen again. Yeah, and he he knows yeah. that. We're not breaking news yeah. to him. He knows that. Yeah. And and think about this now. The worst case scenario. If the worst case scenario happens and he can't come out of this. Think about where where that puts Frank Reich and Chris Ballard as the two men 
sitting yeah. here faced with this situation. I I mean, wow. You have to cut one of the, basically the greatest kicker in the history of the NFL. I mean, do they have to cut him? I mean, how does this Look, work? You I know, mean, I, I don't even know. It's a business. Yeah. Jim Irsay cut Peyton Manning. He did. He cut Reggie Wayne. He didn't cut Reggie Wayne, but he didn't renew his contract. Right. I mean, they've been through this before. It's very rare. A guy like Robert Mathis, a legend, gets to walk out on his own terms, right? It's very, very, very rare. All those guys, Dwight Queen, Dwight Freeney, excuse me, Dwight Freeney was right. cut. You know, Reggie Wayne was not brought back. Peyton Manning was cut. I mean, it, it's a brutal game, even for the best of them. I don't think we're there yet with Adam Vinatieri, but it's something everyone is going to be watching very closely Sunday in Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be one of the biggest pressure situations he's faced since, you know, maybe the Super Bowl. I mean, you know, or his his famous playoff kicks. I mean, it's I think it's that kind of pressure on him now because the stakes are that high for him. So, so we'll see. We'll right. see. Um right. I want to also fill the listeners in on something that Zach I know you know well. Uh California does not suck. <laughs> so, oh man, that was a great trip. Yeah, so thank you schedule makers because, you know, I'm always up for a trip to the to uh, the Golden State. And uh, yeah, I mean, talk about the weather was great, 80 degrees and sunny the entire weekend. Uh, I, I would just say that, well, first of all, give me give me your um, your favorite part of the, the Southern California road trip. You know, obviously not the game. That's work. We don't care about that. But <laughs> you walk out, you walk out every morning and it's like it's climate controlled. It's like it's like someone has a dial and they just put it to the perfect temperature. No, it was a great trip. It was, it was, and I think, and I think you said this during the game. Like, man, I wish I was sitting at home watching this game on the couch, you know, because it was a great football right. game. Um, and I was talking to one of the the Chargers PR interns who previously was a Colts intern, and she said maybe we'll see you down the line. And I said I wouldn't hate a Chargers Colts playoff game in LA in January. So we'll see. <laughs> long way to go to get there. Um, but it wouldn't be a bad break from the the cold winters we have coming up in Indianapolis. Make it happen, Colts. Yeah, I, I would say the other thing is the Chargers stadium experience is freaking weird. Uh, it's a soccer yes. stadium. Especially compared with the last game we went to, which was in snowy Arrowhead, True. which was a disaster. True. Uh, it's it's just a, it's not a bad venue per se. It, I mean, actually, the, the, the sight lines are good, actually, because it's a small stadium. But it's, it's so weird. It doesn't feel like you're covering the NFL. It feels like it's a Division II college game or something. I mean, I think there's 25,000, I think, tickets uh, distributed. And it felt like 10,000 of them were the Colts fans. Oh, no question. When the Colts would make a great play, a touchdown, it felt like it was Lucas Oil Stadium almost. I mean, there were tons of fans. It was like Colts playing a home game. There was was one point, I think, on a big third down for the Chargers, and (laughs) the Colts fans started chanting, let's go defense. And at first, I, I didn't pay any mind. I was like, "Whoa, wait a minute! Those are Colts fans." I mean, it was loud. It was like they were the home team. It was it was really bizarre. Just a really bizarre experience, completely. Um, so they're out of there next year. They're they're in the new LA stadium uh, that they'll share with the Rams next season. But anyway, I, I just thought you know, for those of you who weren't there, you watched it on TV. If it if it felt weird, it looked weird. I want you to know it was absolutely weird. So, <laughs> but but still yeah. a good experience overall. Uh, easy in and out because it's a small stadium. So um, yeah, but but they could they could use a, a real NFL locker room though. That's a whole other story. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, we'll get into 
some more topics in our next podcast. That'll be our subscriber only uh, pod that we'll do later this week. I, I think there's a lot of AFC South topics to get to, and certainly we'll get into the the Titans as well. Um, we're running a little long, so I won't do that here, but. But we got a lot to talk about there. This this division is going to be very interesting uh, if week one is any indication. So looking forward to that. Uh, but anyway, thanks for listening. Keep checking us out uh, at The Athletic. Please subscribe if you haven't. Uh, we've got some good coverage coming up, things that we're really excited about. And uh, myself, Zach Kiefer, Bob Kravitz, in particular on the Colts, uh, will be there every Sunday and uh, bringing you the stories that you know, hopefully no one else is telling. So we thank you for those who have joined on, joined, who jumped on board. And if you haven't, uh, keep looking out for those discount codes and uh, take advantage of that. So we'd love to have you. So that's it for, for me. Uh, keep checking or keep subscribing to the podcast, I should say, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And uh, we'll be back with more. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer. Thanks for listening. This is 1% Better.